Welcome to The Partnership, the straight-up business podcast where co-founders chat co-founders with co-founders. I'm Jennifer Bettmeyer. And I'm Melissa Duran connor We know... We, th- what are you doing? Go ahead. <laughs> we know a thing or two about being business partners. We launched media relations agency, Jennifer Beck Communications, aka JBC, together in 2014. So each episode, we invite co-founders to share their stories about building something new from the ground up. Today, we're thrilled to be chatting with Sarah Margolis, the CEO and founder of Honey Fund, the number one honeymoon and wedding registry app. Like most great business ideas, Honey Fund's big light bulb moment was born out of a personal experience when Sarah and her now ex-husband Josh were planning their own honeymoon. Throughout the process, they kept running into the same issue. Why wasn't there a crowdfunding wedding registry that catered to couples wanting an experience over household items? So they made their own, which inspired what later became Honey Fund. Since its launch in 2006, Honey Fund has funded 1 million couples with more than $640 million in gifts from 6 million givers. Whoa, those are some really <laughs> impressive numbers. And I'm just reading this for the first time. So <laughs> congratulations to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to have you. Um, we will call out from the get-go that uh, usually on the partnership, we email two partners to either co-founders or people that are working together to found a business. And it is just you today, and it is your company, and we will get into that. Um, but let's first talk about how this all came about and the personal experience and how it led to you starting this you know, million company that has a lot of million stats in front of it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, So Honey Fund, like you said perfectly, Melissa, it was really born out of necessity. We were um, two, you know, 20-somethings living together in a one-bedroom flat in San Francisco, working full-time jobs. We didn't have um, a need for all the traditional household registry items. And we were both pretty, like, overworked and just feeling like it's time for a break. This was 2003, 2004. Um, and, you know, so with that was just coming off the dot-com boom, you know, and we had finally landed in like stable jobs after that. And, and it was just hard. Um, it was a hard time. So we had a dream of going to Fiji. It was like the thing that we would always say, like, let's just cut out of here, flip the desk and go to Fiji, you know? (laughs) And so when we got engaged and started planning our honeymoon, that was the natural choice. Um, Turns out Fiji is about halfway around the globe from San Francisco (laughs) and a pretty expensive trip. Um, And we were paying for our own wedding. So we needed a financial solution to how to get there. Um, Funny sort of side note about the two of us, like not going was never an option. It was just like solving the problem of how to get it, (laughs) how to make it happen. So, um, you know, Josh had a background in software engineering. Um, he was working for Macromedia, which was later acquired by Adobe. And he worked on the Dreamweaver product, which is a website building tool. Um, so he built us a, a makeshift wedding website with a makeshift honey fund. And our friends and family went crazy buying us, um, you know, snorkeling and sailing trips and all the fun experiences we could do in Fiji. And they raved about not just how cool it was to shop for something totally different than like traditional housewares, but how they really felt like a lot of other couples in that day and age would need something like this. And could we please build a service for other couples? 
And Josh and I were aspiring entrepreneurs. We we knew kind of for our family life and what we envisioned, we wanted the, the financial freedom and the personal freedom of entrepreneurship, um, being able to be flexible with our schedules and raise a family and all that. And so we're like, maybe this is our business idea. Maybe this is the thing that's going to, you know, make our make our life happen, our vision happen. Were you hesitant at all about doing a business or going into a business with your partner? It, you know, we really didn't think of it at all as a business at that point. We were just thinking about it as a cool side project, like yeah. a website we could build and make possible for people. And of course, we wanted to make money with it eventually. Mm-hmm. But I had just finished an MBA at Golden Gate University, um, and I was working in marketing. He's a software engineer. So we just kind of took those two skill sets together and um, and just threw it up there, like, let's see what happens. And um, we did have a business model, but it completely, like was not viable from the day when we pivoted, you know, a couple of years in. But um, yeah, it was, it, it never occurred to us that we couldn't run a website or a business together um, because we had really complementary skills. Mm-hmm. So we didn't overlap each other. Mm-hmm. It was like he had his own thing and I had my own thing, which I think is a really good metaphor for relationships. Mm-hmm. When you're going into business with somebody, it's almost like going into a relationship where like the relationship's health and success is is only as good as the two individuals that come to mm-hmm. it, right? And the same with the business, like the the quality of each of your expertise in your own domain makes the business strong. And when you bring those two things together and you're not stepping on each other's toes, you have really clearly defined roles, then you have the formula for a strong partnership in business. Yeah. Were you working from home together? Was this under the same roof? Yeah. So, I mean, we started building Honey Fund in 2005, in the fall of 2005, we, this was the time of like newly, we had like laptops and Wi-Fi <laughs> and, you know, um, you could sit on the couch and like binge watch Netflix DVDs that you got in the mail <laughs> yep. and like, you know, and, and open a Google AdWords account and buy keywords and, you know, all the services that you needed, like GoDaddy and things were like new. So like, you know, a lot of um, a lot of the success that we had was really came down to timing mm-hmm. um, that we that we had all these tools and resources available to us in this new era of online entrepreneurship. Were you guys working on it full time at that point, or were you still doing this as a side project? Like, what was the turning point for like this is it? This is going to be a viable, scalable business. Yeah, so that came a few years later. We. We launched the website. We put up some AdWords. We started getting a few signups a day. Um, and that was in 2006. And then by about 2009 um, and 10, we started seeing a lot more, you know, signups. And Honey Fund has this really cool quality that everyone who signs up is naturally going to invite 150 people to the website mm-hmm. on average, right? Which if I was a marketing genius, never yeah. would have even like said, let's design a business where everyone who signs up has to invite 150. But like the fact that we're in the wedding space, it just happened naturally. And it was so amazing. It was like the the key to our success. And so by with with all that kind of viral like uh, sharing of the site going on, um, it, it kind of hit that critical, that tipping point uh, in about 2009, 2010. And at the same time, um, we started what we did was we packaged up all the most requested features into a premium mm-hmm. product. At the time, that freemium business model was really popular. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember Flickr, yeah. the, the <laughs> photo sharing oh, yeah. site. Like they yeah. had like an upgrade you could pay. And so we wanted to keep the basic product free, but we thought, well, let's just try this freemium model. And that was, you know, we had pivoted away from our original model, which was more advertising focused. 
And, um, and that's what, you know, gave us the, the, the income to, um, eventually, um, for Josh to quit his day job. I had quit my day job, uh, before that, but in the meantime, in 2006, we had a daughter and then 2010, we had a son. And, um, and so I was part-time mom, part-time honey fund customer service really was my main first job after developing the site and writing all the copy and all that. And then I did the marketing research and the pricing research on the freemium. And we launched it in, uh, I think it was 2009, started making money. And then in 2011, we were featured on Martha Stewart's MarthaStewartWeddings.com homepage, mm-hmm. Darcy's idea of the day, honey mm-hmm. fun. And we were, and it came out of the blue. Nobody contacted us about it. We had no idea like it was Christmas. happening. <laughs> it was like Chris, yeah. it was our son's first birthday. And we were just like, oh my God. And all like the site crashed and like, oh, we had all these like visitors. And that was it. That was the tipping point. We'd already had the business model in place at that point. So that just gave us the ability to have Josh leave his day job and work full time on the company. So can you tell us now, once you both were full, well, you were full part-time and Josh was full-time. Did you still stay in those kind of buckets of work and what you each were bringing to the table? Or did it start to cross over more because you were both in it all day, every day? We ran it ourselves, just the two of us, until 2012 uh, when we started hiring customer service staff. Um, because like I said, I was answering every customer service email that came in um, up until that point. And it was becoming too much for me mm-hmm. to do that and try to come up with an actual business strategy for this now, you know, successful, thriving website. Um, so that was probably the first shift. And then from there, it becomes the, the, the age-old story of like from founder to CEO and what that mm-hmm. learning curve looks like and how you're scaling a business and having to let go of being the operator and all the little things you have your hands in and become more of the the captain of the ship, right? Mm-hmm. And that is a very long journey <laughs> that is uh, just now kind of feeling like I'm really getting my sea legs under me as the captain of the ship and CEO of the company for a lot of different reasons. To answer your question more succinctly, as the company grew, I felt like our roles needed to change a little bit and there was more demand on both of us to bring that leadership quality to the table. And that's where things started to become less well-defined and a little bit more difficult, more conflict, more disagreement about how to do things, mm-hmm. um, more finger pointing, you know, which is all the kind of classic symptoms of like a system that's not working well. In the beginning stages, and we like to ask this to all the partners we speak to that actually live together, whether they're partners, uh, you know, romantic partners or sisters or mother and daughter, did you have some sense of separation since you were working together, you were living together, you were raising children together, you know, was it just kind of all work all the time or did you have any boundaries in place? So you're like, listen, we're going to, we, we actually, Melissa and I spoke to these two partners last week and they said, listen, we sign on at nine o'clock and then at five o'clock we're off. Mm-hmm. And which by the way, we, Melissa and I don't do, we're just like all day, yeah. you know, all yeah. night. But did you kind of sit down and say, okay, we have children, we have a family, we need to be able to separate kind of the personal and the professional a little bit? We did. We noted, When we noticed it starting to become a source of stress in our relationship, we did create some of those boundaries. Um, before that, it was all fun. It was like, this was another one of our babies, you know, just something that we did and it was, you know, we were creating and it was exciting and it, it bonded us. Um when we, when it started to become more challenging, that's when we said, okay, we need to like put some boundaries around this and try to keep our non-work relationship 
protected, right? So um, we had a, we, I put in place a rule, like, don't ask me business questions after 8 p.m. Like, first of all, my brain just can't do it. Like, I'm already <laughs> exhausted from the day. And second of all, it's just going to make me not, you're not going to like your answer that you get. So, Melissa, you um, should have that, by the way. You should tell. You should say, like, if you write me after 5 p.m. <laughs> when I'm, like, dealing with the kids, like, you're not going to like the response. No, I don't mind. I don't mind you asking. I just, you have to wait till 8 p.m. for an answer because I'm, like, blacked out from 6 to 8 doing kid time, fun, baths, and bed. So she'll send me something right at like 5.50. 6.01. Six oh one. I'm like, talk to you at 8. <laughs> like, yeah. But she Love also it. knows. So that's like, a great Yeah. Battery. I mean, but she also knows and respects it. She doesn't expect an answer at that time. So I think that's why I don't mind, yeah. you know, because I know she doesn't expect an yeah. immediate answer. She knows I'll be back on at 8. I'll see you then. Right. Exactly. I think where it's tougher to create boundaries is when you feel like, um, you know, there were ways that Josh and I both felt like the other the other one was dropping the ball for the business. And um, there was no like formal, like, you know, performance review or something between husband and wife. You just don't do that. You know, so the the lack of process there and the, the fuzziness of the relationship boundaries made that really tough. And um, and you can't that doesn't that can't just be set aside at 8 p.m. or 5 p.m. or whatever, like those things do seep into your relationship and you have to address them. Um, and I would say you probably that, that was the biggest contributor to, to our relationship, uh, troubles, I would say for sure. And, and that's something that kind of came out of the blue for us. Like we worked together so well for so long. And then one day we just didn't anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it's not like something we could have seen coming, you know, or mm -hmm. like, hurried up and gotten counseling or, you know, you know, hired someone else. We did actually really try to hire some, someone else to take over more of the tech ownership from Josh for a really long time. It was overwhelming. Just the two of us running the company with a couple of customer service staff. There was just too much to do. It was too big of a product. There were too many users, members, and we didn't have the staffing. Like we didn't staff the business. Right. <laughs> you know, that's right. like one big mistake I can see in hindsight. Right. And so, uh, but we both like cared so much about it and we wanted it to succeed. So we would just give way too much of ourselves. And that's where you get into that whole thing I was saying before Two unhealthy individuals mm -hmm. don't make for a good relationship, right? Two completely depleted people, um, who feel like the other one should be picking up, you know, more of the slack. Yeah. Resentment is never good. No. Like, and I, never good. there's no way to kind of like brush that emotion under the rug because it really like comes out in not so nice ways at times. You know, like I, I really, I really believe that like any partnership that actually works, which I say in quotes, because that's, you know, up for debate what works even means right now, but is about, you know, calling people out honestly in a constructive way, because when mm -hmm. you kind of, if you, if, I mean, I'll be honest, Melissa doesn't really disappoint me. And there's never been like a, you know, in seven or eight years now, a moment where I really felt she didn't have the business's interest, you know, the best interest at heart. But there's been times where she's done something or said something that I did not think was right for our business or for the future of the business or for the team. And something we've learned over time is really calling each other out in real time, mm -hmm. not sitting on it for like two days or a mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Melissa's better at that than I am. Like I will sit on it sometimes for like a day because I have to figure out how to approach her. And she's like, Jenny, as soon as I said that, why didn't you just pick up the phone and call me? We talked 14 times a day. <laughs> and so I think, you know, just if there is a takeaway, like when you are feeling like the other person is doing things wrong or dropping the ball or disappointing you in some way, 
you know, if you, it's just so important that you address it and that it doesn't just kind of stay there because two weeks later, you're going to say something really nasty yeah. or like, I mean, that's how I am or really bitchy. And you're going to be like, where the hell did that come from? And right. well, it's been stewing in my head for two weeks. A hundred percent. And actually it's funny out of my experience going through this separation and breakup with my co-founder and my divorce, I have started putting together a book um, about how successful couples make love last. And one of the key things is what you're just talking about is being able to speak up about what it is you need. So many times we, um, we want to keep the peace because we love the person and we feel like that's the loving thing to do is to like not make a big deal out of something mm-hmm. that's not a big deal, especially if we have childhood experiences mm-hmm. or of, trauma. of families or trauma where speaking up was not okay or was not safe. Um, then you have someone who really feels it's better just to keep things inside. And they really are doing their best to kind of let it go. But we all know that what, what happens, it do- doesn't, right. you know, it never go goes away. away. We have to be able to, yeah. So, so again, another in- situation where business partnership and marriage almost like have very similar keys to success. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, you mentioned there, you know, as the business was growing, the tensions were starting. How, what was the, like, what was the timeline where you guys realized, you know what, we'll be happier, not business partners and not married? Like, how, what was that timeline like for you? And how, what's that process like? I can't, I'm, going through a divorce must be tr- incredibly traumatic to begin with, right? And that's a lot to have to deal with. But then when you tie a business, that's also your, you know, how you pay for your life, you tie that together. How does that, like, how do you get through that? Yeah. I mean, it loaded question. We, yeah. You do, you do the best you can until you know better and then you do better. Right. Maya Angelou. Um, we, it started with what do we do to handle the overwhelm that we can both see is happening for both of us. And so step one was let's try to hire, um, a, you know, a tech person that could take that big load off of Josh. Um, and so we had a lot of trouble finding the right people, uh, in Northern California where the company was based, um, previously. So we actually moved to Florida to get access to a bigger tech pool, get out of Hmm. the shadow of Silicon Valley. We had a a business, um, a cousin who was an entrepreneur and, um, our business mentor and, um, he lived there and, you know, it was great. Like it was totally solved our problem of talent. We were able to find that tech person, get that institutional knowledge offboarded, um, so that Josh wasn't like the full tech brain trust anymore. So that was great. Um, for a lot of other reasons, it wasn't like the the perfect solution. Um, so step two was, all right, well, now that we've done that and we don't really feel like it's solving the problem, what what is what does it look like to just sell this company and just not do this anymore to ourselves and try to focus on our marriage more? Um, and we went through a whole process to do that. And for a lot of reasons, the company didn't sell. Um and ultimately, by that time, the relationship had deteriorated enough that it was time to, to call it. Um, but we always had put kind of these other really big, like, you know, changes. We, we put our relationship ahead of the business. Unfortunately, we just couldn't execute the solutions in time to, to save the relationship. And then when you had decided, okay, our relationship has run its course, you know, how did you even approach the business side? I mean, I know where you are now because we did our research, but what was that process yeah. like? You know, yeah. how did it, it seem like you were both incredibly invested in in this, as yeah. you said, your third baby? Yeah, definitely. You know, it was actually funny. Like we knew that 
the ongoing issue of Josh's, you know, being overloaded and having too much on his plate, um, you know, ultimately I knew that that was like step one to take care of that. So once we had the staff in place and the, the knowledge transfer, I gave him a four month sabbatical or we agreed that he would take a four month sabbatical. So that was like step one. Let's just remove ourselves from the day to day, gives our, give ourselves some space to kind of look at like what, what's next and like give him just a break. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was something that I had wanted to do for, you know, probably six, seven years was just give him a break. He held so much on his shoulders and he took so much responsibility for it. And that's a lot, you know, because it's not only, you know, doing what the customers need and the employees need and everything, but it's supporting your family yeah. too at the same time. So, and that's a lot to hold. Um, so, so that was step one, which I, I thought was really successful, like just to, just to create that gap, that space to breathe. And did he, did he go somewhere or did he just take the time? He away just from took the, the time off, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. which is, you know, what, what he really needed to do, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and I was, and that's something that I think, you know, I always say like, you don't have to get divorced to give each other a break, you know, when it, if it comes to the kids or if it comes to, cause you, you know, you have divorced friends, you see people out there, they have 50 custody of their kids. And so if half their life is just like, woohoo, you mm-hmm. know, like I have got all this freedom now. You don't have to get divorced to give each other that. Right. And it's the mm-hmm. same in business. We don't have to break up to give each other yeah. a break, you know, like let's just step back from this and see what it is that we can. Well, let me ask you a question though, because it seems like, so I'm in a similar position as maybe like your ex-husband was, which is I have thrown everything into this business. I have a horrible work-life balance. Melissa, on the other hand, is unbelievably good at taking time. So she'll say, I'm taking three days off and I'm going, I'm making this up. I'm going to a spa with my mom and she will, she'll check in every now and then with me, but she's not nonstop emailing. She's not doing calls. I think Melissa can tell me if I'm wrong, but in the eight years we've been doing this, I don't think I've gone longer than like four hours completely checking out. I mean, mm-hmm. every vacation, mm-hmm. every holiday. It's literally the most unhealthy thing in the world. But, I beg so, her. I'm like, please stop. Like, you need to get offline. Yeah. But that's that's what I'm asking, though, is like, as a partner, how do you convince that other partner that the healthiest thing they can do for the relationship and the business is go away for a bit? Mm. That's a really... Great question. And um, I wish I had an answer. Um, but Melissa, just don't stop trying. Oh, I mean, it's keep, been an eight-year mission. I'm on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and Jenny, I think you have a responsibility as the co-founder of this business to keep yourself healthy mm-hmm. and to bring your best to it every day. And taking breaks is not a luxury. It's It's a necessity mm-hmm. for mental health and for and you won't believe how much insight you get to your business too when you take two weeks off. Like that's time for you to actually do some really deep thinking and have some aha moments and really like bring your best to the business. Your best is not roll, rolling up your sleeves and, you know, doing all the nitty gritty every day. Your best is probably, I, I don't know what your rules are, who's the mm-hmm. operator, who's the big <laughs> thinker or whatever, but there, I'm sure that there's something you have to bring to the table yeah. there. Yeah. Which is so funny because Jen is the biggest advocate for mental health for all like, you know, we put benefits in place that she's thought of to support our team in mental health, but she doesn't actually do it herself. <laughs> well, yeah. I go, to, I go yeah. to therapy every week and I take the hour off for therapy, but yeah, an hour. That's, <laughs> that's good. That's a good it's, yeah. step. Yeah. It's, it's something. I'm yeah. proud of you. Something. So just so what's the next step you can do? Can you take a spa day once a quarter? Can you commit to that? 
I mean, I'll be honest though. She's COVID's also a newlywed. She needs to take more time with her husband. Like, I, I no, mean, we, this is first of all, I certainly do not need more time with my husband right now after <laughs> 14 months living in the same house. But number two is, <laughs> I, I, I will like say, more time with you. Well, pre-COVID, I was taking some Fridays off. But what happened with COVID, to be honest, is, you know, to be totally transparent, is, you know, our business started not doing well. And we had to figure it out. And so, oh, yeah. you know, the last 14 months has been like, you know, the first few few months of COVID was like triage, right? It was like, Melissa and I sat oh, yeah. down. We said, we want to get through this without layoffs. Okay, that is the number one priority is we need to keep our team. We love this team, we want to keep their benefits. We want to keep them paid. How do we do that? And, you know, that really meant Melissa and I busting our ass like 18 hour days, Mm -hmm. you know, from March Mm -hmm. until Mm -hmm. June when things really did start to turn around and they've since turned around and things are much better now. But we got through, you know, it's hard to find a PR agency or anyone in media relations who got through this pandemic without layoffs. And we were adamant about that. Now that we're, as I say, coming out of this which we're not really coming out of it, but you know what I mean? Post-vaccine life. Um, I think yeah. I can start having a better understanding of what my life will look like with some time off. But the past year, mm-hmm. it would just have been unrealistic to think any of us could have stepped away at any point. Mm. Mm. But this is not about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's good. I mean, these are the conversations that, you know, co-founders need to hear because you are not the only two that are having this issue. I had it, you know, and everybody has it. Um, self-care is not a luxury. It's a necessity. Mm-hmm. And that I think that just really owning that, even in the pandemic. Oh, for sure. Probably more importantly during the pandemic. I think it was more important than ever to take care of yourself because it was such a mind fuck. Can I say that on this podcast? It was completely. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about the F-bombs. Um, um, <laughs> I just feel like it's it's not a luxury. It's yeah. a necessity. So that's that's what I would say. That's the advice I would give. If you guys have that uh, expectation of your team, then and Jenny's a team member, then Jenny's got to follow the rules and go take care of herself. And it comes from the leadership down. I feel too. like one day Melissa's just going to lock me out of my email. She's going to like, oh, I'm oh going to go online a I hadn't even thought at 8 a.m. And I'm going to have like no access to Slack or email or anything. <laughs> and I'm just going to spiral and then you know, it's like, it, it's, for me, it's a weird addiction too, right? Like I, my name's mm-hmm. on the door of this company and that just comes with an enormous amount of pressure. And sometimes mm. I forget that for me to be an effective leader, you know, it means me taking care of myself a little bit more. But anyway, let's, let's go back to you and your ex-husband and how you navigated that time. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious how you guys had the conversation around where you retained honey fund and, you know, cause partnerships mm-hmm. dissolve mm-hmm. all the time. We see, we've seen co-founders of yeah. startups start and end yeah. and they go away. And we always, we kind of mm-hmm. know the backstory of how one ended up with the company and one walked away. But I guess mm-hmm. there's the added layer of being married and you certainly don't need to go into mm-hmm. your personal, you know, dialogue around being divorced. Cause that's, you know, your story. Mm-hmm. But I guess when it relates to the business, how did you, decide, okay, we're not going to sell it and split it, you know, because that wasn't viable. It's no, I'm as Sarah, I'm going to stay on and keep this going, but Mm -hmm. it maybe Mm -hmm. makes more sense for you to. Yeah. I mean, I would just say that we were in alignment on that. Um, I think that there was, I was a little (laughs) bit more excited about keeping it and he was a little bit more excited about 
stepping away. Um, and so we were able to come to terms and that, that made it pretty easy. There was no, like, no, I want it. Yeah, no, I want it. And a tug great. of war around that, which made it, yeah, it made it at least one thing oh, yeah. was easy and all of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Were you nervous at all about taking it on by yourself though? I mean, I think I'll, I'll be honest. I, nothing about running this company without Melissa, even, you know, like it mm-hmm. actually terrifies me. And I actually feel pretty mm-hmm. strongly that I couldn't do it without her. Did you have mm-hmm. that same mm-hmm. thought or at that point, were you feeling really confident in your leadership and your ability to run this without him? I mean, there were definitely moments where I was like, all right, we're going to, we're going to find out what we don't know at this point about mm-hmm. what we needed, what, you know, what institutional knowledge or things, you know, Josh was still holding that um, we would have to make up for. But at that point we had a big enough team um, right. and a really great director of technology mm-hmm. that came in that um, I've, I felt confident that we could figure anything out uh, that came our way. And um, we, at that point also, we had really pretty well-defined roles Um we, we had established an agile um, product development model and he was a product owner on the team. And I, I literally just, there was a literal hat that said product owner <laughs> <laughs> and he just gave me the hat and I put it on and I became the product owner for about a year. Um, I had very specific goals for the product. Um, we were doing a lot better, like measure, measuring, monitoring, goal setting, um, business strategy. So I knew exactly what we needed to do to get the business um make some key improvements that I had been wanting to make to the business. And, um, and I loved it. I loved every minute of sitting in that chair. I loved working with the agile team. I loved, um, the sort of servant leadership model of agile, um, uh, connecting with all the engineers and the team. Um, and then I hired a fantastic, uh, female product owner to take over my spot last summer during COVID. And, um, she's so much better at it than I was. And, um, and so that that transition was actually a really enjoyable for me, which was probably also kind of a rare, you know, bright spot in all of it. Does Josh ask you about the business? <laughs> is he does is he you know have this like little nosy <laughs> no, really... like so what's going on here and you know does it yeah, or has he no, like not at given all. you space and said no. do your thing? Yeah, we we give each other a lot of space, um, which is nice. We have a really, really good functional, you know, co-parenting relationship, but we give each other a lot of space, which is, you know, I think in any breakup, you know, you need that kind of like period to kind of reset and it's healthier, I think, if you give each other space um, to kind of like get on your own two feet again and figure out who you are without that other person. And um, and so, yeah, we it, we really did a clean break. It was a very clean break. But do you feel that this business, like his, the success of this business, and it clearly is unbelievably successful and, and frankly, a genius idea. I don't know how I'm trying to ask this, but like you, you still credit its success to your ex-husband and you together as that partnership. Like looking back on it, is there part of you that thinks, listen, if I can do this as the leader and CEO right now, I could have always done it this way. Or do you feel that it all kind of happened at the right time so you could grow into this role? Yeah, no, I mean, I never could have done any of it without Josh. He, I mean, he literally coded it from scratch. Um, and and I do credit him uh, enormously for the dedication and uh, the time that he put into um, running, the, running the tech side of it. Um, and at the same time, you know, there is sort of a, a transition that happens um, as businesses start to scale, as they go from sort of like proof of concept, to, you know, into like a seed round of funding and, you know, and then you start to scale 
And, um, and that's, you know, a lot of times founders are great at going from zero to one, but not from one to 10 or 10 to a hundred. Right. And, um, and in this case, I have a, a really strong personal interest in seeing that next phase of growth through. Um, it's just something that I want to learn to do and grow as a leader and, and ultimately take on bigger organizations and companies further down the line in my career. Um, and, you know, Josh had this really great, amazing ability to just create something from nothing. So I think we both play a role um, and are, we both shine in different phases of the company's growth. What would be your, see, I'm very interested in this question specifically from you based on your history, but what would be your advice to like a young entrepreneur or an older entrepreneur, but someone who's launching a business who is trying to figure out if they need a partner or not. And if they do mm -hmm. feel that they need a partner, because maybe they need, as you said, someone who could code or someone who can complement mm -hmm. their skill set. what do you think is fundamental when mm -hmm. looking for that person to align with? And, uh, you know, Melissa yeah. and I on this podcast talk a lot about value systems and marriages, but it does seem like you and Josh had a lot, you know, the value system, all those things were in play. So is there is there something you learned through this process that you kind of feel like is important when you're when you're looking for that co-captain? Yeah, first of all, I really think I think having a partner doubles your chances of success and going it alone, but I'm an extrovert. I'm someone who needs to talk through my thoughts and like get people's feedback. I do I do my best work in collaboration with other people, so maybe it's a personality thing, but um I really think that having a partner is is key. Um I think that it also helps diversify the thinking um, if you can have people with different backgrounds as the partners, even better, you know, a man and a woman or, you know, different racial or ethical or cultural backgrounds. Um, I said ethical, but I meant ethnic. <laughs> um, really like helps, right? Because you get more points of view and that's, that's the, we know from science and data that that is the benefit of diversity. We know that, um, you know, female leaders have, um, better business outcomes than male based on data of, and that's because we bring a different point of view to things, right? So um, I like I like having partners. I think that there are th sort of three key things that you want to have in place uh, to, to have your partnership succeed. First and foremost, really good definition of the roles and the boundaries. So I'm operations, you're, you know, whatever, your marketing or I'm tech and your, you know, business strategy or finance, like so that everybody's owning their own area of expertise. Not that we're not going to ask for input on things, but that we're not going to be having fundamental uh, battles over who knows better in this area. Does that make sense? Makes complete sense. Number two, I think you need a rock solid written and signed contract. You have to have thought through, and it's just an exercise to help you think through, what are we going to do if one of us decides to leave? What are the terms of that exit? How much time are we going to have to transition things over? Um, you know, how many shares do you have? How many shares do I have? All of that stuff you're going to need later down the line anyway for rounds of investment mm -hmm. and things. You might as well just do it from the get-go because mm -hmm. it's, it gives you that clarity of how your partnership works. You have no idea how many people, friends, and like people that are just launching their businesses, I say that too, and they're like, we don't need it this is so informal. He's a friend of mine or she's a friend of mine. We don't need to yeah. write anything down. And I'm like, I swear to you, like I, Melissa and I have had a written contract since day one. I have never questioned anything. And I frankly know that we will work together until this company no longer exists, but it's like insurance policy. Like yeah. you cannot, you know, it's like having life yeah. insurance. Like you can't yeah. just assume 
everything is going to go well all the time. No, like, you really can't. And if you if that is the way you look at the world, you have no business starting a business. <laughs> right? Because so right. everything will go You're wrong. So right. And and you know, like when I tell you like the story of how the the time period of me taking over that product owner role was coming out of a downturn in the business. Um, and we were basically like making some really important improvements to all of our KPIs to go into 2020, which was set to be a breakout year for the company, but also for the industry because 2020 is a novel number. And so more people mm-hmm, were getting mm-hmm. married in that year than other years. Then what happened to 2020? It just went down the freaking toilet with the pandemic, right? So everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And if you don't have it written down, what are you going to do in those situations? Mm-hmm. You And you don't have that agreement up front, you're setting yourselves up for a lot of pain and probably the end of any friendship you had to begin oh, with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, or partnership. By the way, I was a 2020. I was supposed to be a 2020 bride. Yes. Yeah. And then exactly. we, we canceled it twice and then we eloped. That's and that story is so familiar, mm-hmm. Jenny. So many people did that exact same thing. So um, I really feel like that written mm-hmm. agreement. It's not Such just good advice because you need the the snooze fest contract. It's because you need to understand what you're going to do and then write it down and and then agree to it. And agreements are something that all teams need. You know, the the agile process really taught me that. Um, the, the team has an agreement. What do we do in these situations? How do we mm-hmm. handle this, that, and the other thing? And then we review it every two weeks. We have a retrospective and we say, how are we doing? What could we improve? Right. Those agreements are everything to a harmonious working Absolutely. environment and very important to a partnership. The third thing I was going to mention, actually, I just touched on, which is process. I think you need you need process with each other, even when it's just two of you. Get used to it. Practice it. Know what it is figure out how to scale your processes because that's what starting and growing a business is. It's organizing humans to do processes and get better at them and make them bigger and better and and ultimately fall to the bottom line. I feel like you should be hosting this podcast, not you, know, seriously. <laughs> I mean, oh honestly, like, uh, and I don't know what you do about PR, We're gonna quote but those you a lot. three points... <laughs> I feel like you could easily turn into an entrepreneur profile in five seconds like that. It's interesting, too, because Melissa and I have now interviewed maybe like what, like 30 people on this podcast. And that's the first time the contracts come up. And it's it so is true. so crucial. That's so funny you just said and that. And it's, it's, you know, we've interviewed a lot of married couples and sisters and partners and, you know, then just kind of conventional partners like friends, me and Melissa. Um, and it is so unbelievably crucial that mm-hmm. I'm just shocked. And it, it just goes to show you how uncomfortable people are talking about yeah, it. I bet you they all mm-hmm. have one, mm-hmm. but they are just unwilling to talk about it because it, it's almost like getting a prenup, right? You feel like there's something dirty mm-hmm. about it or mm-hmm. wrong, or you're setting yeah. yourself a failure, but mm-hmm. putting a contract in place just makes you more safe than anything, you know? So mm-hmm. I bet you they all have it. They just don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I also think with women and like Melissa, I'll never forget this because something Melissa and I advocate a lot, you know, because 70% of our roster are female founded businesses are just getting women more comfortable talking about money and finances Mm -hmm. and what they Mm -hmm. should be compensated and to not be afraid to ask for a raise and not be afraid to say, okay, well, you came in at this number, but I want this number. And there's this kind of inherent, and I had this when I was coming up, like, you shouldn't be asking, like, I'll give you what you should get. I'll never forget when I was at this big fashion house, I went in and I said, I want a raise. And I've, you know, your public, your PR 
clips have increased by like 55%. And I think I should be compensated this much more. And the CEO, who is like an old white dude, turned to me and said, I'll let you know when you're due for a raise. You won't let me know. And uh, it's just, it's the same kind of thing. It's like this, we should be more comfortable having these conversations and talking about money and contracts because the more we talk about it, the more comfortable we'll be Mm -hmm. having these dialogues with our partners, with our staff, with our bosses. You know, it's, I don't think many dudes have a hard time going in and asking for more money. But I think when it comes to women, sometimes there's this feeling that, as Melissa said, like you shouldn't be talking about this Mm -hmm. when really you absolutely should. Yeah. Yeah. It protects you. And that kind of getting back to the concept of um, what makes successful couples, you know, successful, I think um, there's a whole conversation to be had about the, the finances and do we have our own personal finances or do we blend them or is it both? Do we have a hybrid model? And um, there's just a sort of assumption in the past that you would just open a joint bank yeah. account, put all your paychecks in there and figure it out. But guess what? What percentage of divorces is the number one problem yeah. is money? You know, like, why don't you, why don't you kind yeah. of look at it and decide what's best the for best you, advice right? I got, well, not the best. I've got a lot of good advice from my mom, but I'll never forget. I think since I've been like 12, she's like, Melissa, when you get married, you keep your own money in your own account. Like you, yes, you can have something joint where you, you know, buy vacations, Pay the mortgage. whatever, have yeah. a credit. But she's like, mm-hmm. keep your money. When you want to go buy something, you don't want to hear anyone's mouth about how much it costs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, um, right. Set up your financial goals together, fund the goals together, and then keep your own money on the side. I love that model. That's perfect it, for a lot I tell of people. everyone, all my friends, I'm like, you have to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. My mother always said to me, just make sure everything is transparent financially. Like don't, one person yeah. shouldn't oversee the finances. Like mm-hmm. you should sit down together and have pure transparency to like, here's where the money, here's the coming in, here's where it's going. Like there's no reason just because you're the woman that you should say, okay, you're doing the finances, I'm doing this. And it's just, I mean, granted, I didn't get married until last year, but it's been like ingrained in me too, that like, I am like obsessed with like, just knowing everything about finances, whether it comes to my personal professional life, which Mm I, I don't think a lot of people are kind of pushed to do that. So Sarah, you mentioned earlier, kind of in passing, and I kind of want to go back to it. Are you, you're writing a book. Yeah. I wanted to, let's talk more about it. Cause like these tips I imagine are in there. Yeah. So, right. Um, I was just buttoning up the proposal when the pandemic hit. So, um, and I went through a very similar process that you two did. I had to sit down and do a lot of triage on a business that gets its money from weddings and right. honeymoons. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, I was like, <laughs> So the book proposal got set aside, but I'm coming back to it this year. Um, The idea is that um, there's a lot to be learned from a million honey fun couples, from a lot of psych research and long-term longitudinal studies of marriage. Um, And I wanted to do kind of like a roundup of like what what are the best practices for marriage? How do, how do we make love last? And not just the marriage itself, but the actual love yeah. relationship because marriage has become business partnerships in a lot of ways. It's like you're sitting down and looking at the finances and talking about the mortgage. Should we do a refi? You know, how are we going to fund our vacation next year? 100%. What about really soccer yep. practice? You know, it becomes so much of your time spent running the business of the family that um, you basically just don't realize that you no longer ever spend time just loving each other. 
Like, you know, when, when yeah. was the last time we just gazed lovingly into each other's eyes over a candlelit dinner or something? Yeah. You know, you just realize mm-hmm. like our, our relationship has totally changed. So what are the best practices around keeping the spark alive? What are the best practices around communication, finances, mm-hmm. contracts? Did you know that marriage is a contract, mm-hmm. whether you have a written one or not? You find out when you get divorced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so what's the, what's the actual legal side of marriage? what marriage is and what what's what's going to happen if you get divorced like there's so much that we could package up for couples to help them be more successful that we just don't learn oh a thousand percent i realized on mother's day i i actually chose to go to brunch with just my husband on mother's day and leave my kids with my parents because i said this is our only this would be our first meal together without kids in like probably, i i think like a year yeah. Yeah. And it's so easy, Melissa. It's so, so many people find themselves, a lot of people have a kid and then they stop going on dates. I'm talking like five years. They haven't been on a date. They haven't hired a babysitter, like nothing, you know, because they just, you know, never yeah. did it. And it's like, you, you can't expect your romance to stay alive if you don't put time into it. And people don't realize that they think that romantic love is this magical thing that lands in your lap and then it just stays there, but it actually takes oh, work 100%. to keep it, to keep yeah. it alive. So, um, and, and in a way, I think that there's an analogy there for what we're talking about in business partnerships. 100%, yeah. Yeah. Because you got to make time to connect with each other as humans to, you got to take time away from the business, Jenny Wink Wink, to <laughs> yep. take care of yourself, to get inspired. And then you come back and you tell your business partner, oh my God, I had this incredible idea while I was sitting on the beach in Mexico because I saw all these people doing this, that, or the other thing. And I realized that's a total trend now. And we got to work that into our company. It, like, just all that stuff, you know, mm-hmm. you got to keep that, the, you know, quote unquote romantic side of your business partnership. It's going. very true. I mean, I'm planning a trip out to LA before uh, I'm expecting my third kid and I'm trying to get out to LA before I can't fly anymore. And then the next time I can go is early next is next year, basically just in, right. I'm making it half of a weekend just so I can hang out with Jen, <laughs> like not even go to work, yeah. you know, and just do Good. something. Yeah. Just her and I, because, um, a, we've barely seen each other the past you know, year and change. Um, but I think it's important to your point to like, you know, feed the love. You You gotta feed the love. You gotta do it. And it, it, it does take work. And what I didn't realize, I think one of the things that I learned in my marriage and my business partnership, having gone through all of that, you know, and coming out the other side of total failure, um, is that, you kind of expect going into marriage that you're just going to agree to everything and you're going to do everything together and it's just all going to be rainbows and unicorns. And getting back to what we were saying before, if if there isn't total alignment there, but one person's not totally saying it because they want to keep the peace or whatever, then you kind of, you go down a really dangerous road, which is like one person running the show and the other one just kind of like coming along. And that can happen in business too a lot. So taking that time to really connect deeply and say like, is, are we where you want to be? What would you do if I got hit by a bus? You know, like really kind of having those deeper conversations, building in time for that in your business partnership, I think is really helpful. I mean, I would read this book. I was just going to say the minute you announce that it's for sale, I'll be getting it. Cause it, it, I think, and also like getting it for my friends too. I mean, I think we're all constantly talking about this um, and oh, other, constantly. even other business yeah. owners, like it's just, it's so the right topic and, um, who has better knowledge and research than you. So, um, I'm really excited for that. Hope a publisher picks Thank it you. up if they haven't already. Um, yeah. If any 
publishers listening to our podcast, <laughs> we highly recommend this proposal. You can email us. We'll put you in touch. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, actually, no, I haven't shopped it yet. I'm still, I have to, my publishing uh, or my proposal consultant keeps hitting me up like, are we going to do this? Are we going to do this? I'm like, I yes, mean, I you, promise. Melissa's like texting me while you're talking. Like, I yeah. love her. Like, you're so well-spoken <laughs> about this well, and, and you're so realistic. Yeah. Yeah, like you're not bullshitting anyone and you're talking about the tough times and you're saying that you're not perfect and you failed a bunch of times, but here's your takeaway. And if that can help anyone, like why not? You know, why not read this? I love it. Thank you so much. Um, You know, it actually inspired um, the whole next phase of Honey Fun too, which I know we're going to get to, but... um, Well, yeah, tell us a little bit about that because I wanted to actually, that was my next question. Yeah, so... um, the pandemic sort of was a, a moment in time where we had to, I actually had a conversation with myself. Like, is it time to let this business go? Like, is this the moment where it's just done? Because it's been a lot of years of, you know, hard stuff and, you know, I've kept battling and I've kept showing up and, you know, uh, but the pandemic really called everything into question, you know? So in the end, I decided that, um, well, first of all, I said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shut it down. I love my team too much to do that. And, and really the first and foremost, I want to keep my team intact, just like the two of you had committed to. So, um, the second conversation I had with myself was where's the opportunity here? Mm -hmm. Because in every challenge and every obstacle and every hard thing that happens, there's an opportunity. Um, and I, you know, thank Wayne Dyer for teaching me that. Um, and, and sometimes the biggest, hardest challenges and obstacles have the biggest opportunities that on the flip side of them, right? So what we did is we looked at Honey Fund holistically. I said, I have an amazing business coach, David Jakubowski. He started a platform called Eureka, which helps women and minority business founders scale hmm. quicker, get hmm. access to all the stuff that the white dudes in Silicon Valley have, like without even thinking about it. Everything from analyzing your website to know how to improve things to get more business there, to um, learning to fund your business, to learning HR best practices. I mean, they, they really cover it all. It's incredible. U-R-E-E-K-A, Eureka. Um, so Dave is my personal business coach. We sat down, we looked at the business. Um, we did an exercise where we looked at kind of the key values and the key f- um, benefit that we're bringing to our audience and all these things and where everything overlaps. And we said, all right, we're really, we're really about friends and family being there for people in their important life events and, you know, giving them money for their honeymoon or money for their wedding or their home down payment or whatever. We had launched a sister site called Plum Fund back in 2013 for people doing stuff beyond the wedding. And we realized that like, those were the same people and the same friends and family coming out to fund Plum Funds. Why don't we just give Honey Fund couples the ability to have a one lifelong funding page or website on honeyfund.com that they can just, it can grow with them. It can transition from a wedding registry to a baby mm-hmm. registry, or it can transition from, you know, we're starting a business together or right. we're, um, we're taking the new trip. house. Yeah. We're taking that honey honeymoon that we never took or yeah, whatever it is. And so, um, the pandemic gave us that kind of like moment to breathe, to really see that bigger picture. And so we started, we, we decided to open up a new funding round. We're using startengine.com, mm-hmm. which is equity crowdfunding for, for companies at a seed stage. I love um, something like Start Engine because it gives you a chance to um, 
pretty easily, like it's a pretty low um, effort to get something started. It doesn't cost as much as a traditional raise. And, Mm. um, and then you have like thousands of investors who are like your fans that like want to see you mm-hmm. succeed right. instead of just like two angels or something sure. that might have some connections or whatever. So, um, so loved it. It worked out really well for us. We also really benefited from our partnership with Kevin O'Leary and Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. He was, um, he's a spokesperson for Start Engine. He came on and was a spokesperson for our campaign. And, um, great. and so we got the funding we needed to go after the lifelong funding page opportunity and, uh, grow. So if anyone listening is interested in investing in a company that you can get behind that you believe in and you want to, you know, it's the minimum investment I think is $138. You can go oh, wow. buy a few shares of Honey That's Fund, awesome. become, you know, our, our partner in taking this, um, idea forward. And, um, and like I said, that, that came out of, you know, probably the biggest challenges I've ever faced as an entrepreneur. How can someone get in touch with you or like how can someone reach out to you if they do want to get involved or consider investing or just learn more? Yep. Startengine.com slash Honeyfund. The whole story is there of what Honeyfund is, how it started, how we're envisioning something new for the for the uh, service, how we can serve people beyond the wedding. And then um, there's an invest button and it's as simple as just put it in your credit card. That's <laughs> awesome. Easy. Make it really That's easy. That's so great. Yeah. And so that was like, you know, my, my experience getting divorced, um, divorcing my co-founder, you know, all the hardship that came with that. I wanted to be able to give something back to couples mm-hmm. to, to, so they, like you said, I could learn from my mistakes. And, um, and really when I started thinking about what do I want for couples that use Honey Fund, it wasn't just a great honeymoon and it wasn't just a book that helps them make their relationship last, but it was just a platform that they could continue to use throughout their lives. And that's how we came up with it. Awesome. So great. So the way we kind of wrap up on this show is we ask our audience, our listeners to submit questions. We let them know some upcoming guests and they write in some fun questions that we can ask you. And we got a bunch for you. And I'm going to pick one, which I guarantee is the one Melissa wanted to read. I'm just going <laughs> to we'll preface see. that, but I'm going <laughs> to ask it anyway. It's from someone named Emily. And the question is, who in the business world or otherwise would you most like to have dinner with? I've been really fortunate that I got to meet a lot of my idols in business. Ariana Huffington was one, Sarah Blakely. Um, I've I've had the good fortune of meeting both of those women. Um, gosh, uh, I would like to meet Kamala Harris. I mean. You oh, and me both. She's a NorCal girl. <laughs> she's a she's a NorCal girl just like me. Um, she had an incredibly interesting upbringing. I started listening to her autobiography, mm-hmm. um, her, you know, her parents involved in the civil rights movement and stuff and going to like really cool events in Oakland for like justice. And, um, we're, we're like someone who's just her, lived yeah. her truth, yeah. you know, she's just lived yeah. her truth and she just went for it and she took her smarts and her tenacity and her, um, mind for justice. And she went and like rolled up her sleeves and did the work. And that's, I really admire that. I really, really do. I had the best star sighting I've ever had since living in LA, which is um, a few weeks ago, I was hiking in Brentwood, which is like the hike trails five minutes from my house. And I saw her husband, Doug, our second gentleman hiking. And I obviously am such a dork. And I was so starstruck because I'm such a big fan of, of both of theirs, actually. And so I like giddy smiled and he smiled and waved at me and just looked like he just seemed and comes across as like the most lovely man. And yeah, 
My husband they have a really I'm, cool uh, yeah, love story too. Totally I know. I turn to my husband and I'm like, "Can I? Can we turn around and can I go back and talk to him?" And he's like, "No, because you will probably get arrested because you're such a <laughs> psycho fan. Like <laughs> you know way too much about him and her, and he has a lot of security with him. And I do not want to bail you out of jail tonight." So oh, that's so that funny. was that was where it ended. But I was very excited. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, she's she's a powerhouse. If you ever get a dinner invite with her, please bring us along. I'll literally yeah. be like I'm your assistant. I have to be there. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. I mean, I cried when she got sworn in. You guys, like having a female vice president means so much to me personally. And it's funny. Like I was never like a feminist. Like in college, I wasn't like marching for anything. You know, I was a music major. I was just you know whatever, doing classical choirs and stuff. But, um, but as I've, you know, started this and, and run this company and learned more about, you know, being a woman in the business world, it hit me like how, first of all, privileged I am and lucky that I was able to do this. Um, the timing, like I said, of, you know, um, technology allowing us to build businesses from home, um, and where I grew up in California, uh, where the tech industry is, you know, um, but there's just a lot of obstacles to women um, taking on leadership at higher mm-hmm. and higher levels in this country. And when you actually look at the stats, I think there was a UN report like five years ago or something on um, conditions for women across the globe. And the U.S. is like at the bottom yep. of the developed yep. world. We are more likely to be killed with guns by someone that we know. We're more likely to be physically abused in other ways where we don't have any paid maternity leave. You know, there's the, the wage gap. There's so much that we have to overcome to succeed in a traditionally man's mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. that that moment was so meaningful for me. Like I really, yeah. really felt it. I agree. And totally. yeah. And I feel that if you're a woman, you might understand this, what I'm just talking about. If you're a man, you probably don't at all. You just don't get right. it at all. And so even like, you know, it's hard to even talk to the men in my life about how meaningful that was. They just don't, they're like, oh yeah, that's cool. It's, there's just no like deep connection to like what that meant, you know? A friend told me about, um, something called the dream gap. Um, I guess Barbie started this program, um, around it, but it's this idea that girls around the age of, I think four or five, I can't remember, start to question their ability to do, to do anything and Mm. to do what boys Mm. can do because the Mm. way you know, um, gender norms are structured here. Mm -hmm. It's like you're a princess Mm -hmm. or, and they're an astronaut, you know, Mm -hmm. I actually wrote an op-ed about Mm -hmm. it because it just, it infuriates me. I have two daughters, I have a third on the way. So, you know, my job is to make sure they never feel those limitations. So when, Mm -hmm. I mean, my daughter looks like Kamala Harris, you know, she has, she's going to grow up always having seen someone who looks like her in almost the highest leadership role in the U S. So, um, you know, she's only two and a half, so she doesn't quite understand. But when she's 10 and we're still mm-hmm. talking about Kamala Harris, she'll understand the significance mm-hmm. and how important it is. And it won't seem like the the mm-hmm. weird thing. It won't seem like the, it'll seem like the norm. Like, of course, hopefully there are more women behind her, mm-hmm. but it won't seem as mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. as much of a yeah. unicorn event, <laughs> hopefully by then. Yeah. And, but, and, and that will be up to what yeah. we do. Because we have yeah. a responsibility to keep this movement going and to to raise more women up into powerful positions. The more power we get, the more we bring them well, with so us. 
to raise the bar. Like, I think also like we're celebrating this, but you know, this is also the bare minimum, you know, there's so much more we can do. And, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I agree. I think that it's on us. It's on the generation after, you know, there's just Mm -hmm. so much more we can do. And Melissa and I are so outspoken about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, we work with, you know, Female Founders Fund who invests in female-owned businesses. We work with Female Founders Collective, which celebrates female-owned businesses. Like, they're, you have to figure out what you can do. It, it's not just about giving money to an organization. Right. Look at your right. personal skill set yeah. and say, how can I use what I do every day to help people? Yeah. Whether it's women, whether, yeah. it, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter what it is. For us, yeah. it happens to be women. So we're yeah, yeah. very vocal about it, but yeah, it's like, it's like RBG said when she was asked how many women on the Supreme mm-hmm. court is enough. She said all of them. Yeah. <laughs> why, why do we have a paradigm where just half of the women is enough? So we have one more question and this is the last one I promise. Um, and we will let you get back to your empire. Kathleen wants to know, what do you wish you knew before you started honey fund? Oh my God. That's Kathleen, a really good. The list is so long. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, like I said, the, the, the learning curve from founder to CEO is so steep. There's actually a podcast called from founder to CEO that I interviewed four years ago. Really cool, cool guy, um, Todd that runs that. I would check it out. Um, but I had an MBA, but I knew nothing about managing people hiring. I mean, there's so much you have to learn from the ground up and actually, another plug for Eureka, they, they put it all together for you. And like, they have like four different key areas of where you have to have good business knowledge to succeed, um, funding operations, human resources and hiring marketing. And so you want to go, you know, sign up and like start studying. (laughs) Um, what I, I think what I wish I would have done is, um, take some leadership classes earlier on, um, when, when it was time to start hiring a team and, scaling, I would have hired a COO. I would have hired an operations person mm-hmm. to, um, who had that expertise to come in and, and mentor me and help make the business happen, um, make the growth happen. And actually just side note, that was 2014 when we got our money from Shark Tank. That's when I would have done it. I just, my COO just started last month. That's how long it took me wow. to finally get there. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I would definitely do that. Um, what else would I wish I have known? Um, I wish I would have really been good at hiring because I think that hiring well is the best thing any organization can do. And that requires a whole lot of knowledge of what roles you need, what skills those people need for those roles, um, what kind of culture you have. Are they a cultural fit? Um, do you care about diversity, um, you know, gender and ethnic diversity? You know, are you going to, are you going to hire for that? Like, there's so much that goes into that piece, but your company's only as good as the people that you have mm-hmm. um, on your team. And then the leadership brings those people together and gets their eyes focused on a common future, a common goal. Um, so I wish I'd known more about that stuff, but I'm having so much fun learning it now. That's awesome. I feel like I learned so much, like, during this hour conversation. So thank you very much. It was an hour very well spent. I mean, you're you're amazing. I, I'm really, really inspired by what you do and, and your candor about it all. So thank you for taking the time to tell us a little bit about your journey and, and what you learned and what you did wrong and all the other good stuff. Thank you, ladies, for having this forum for people like me to come and share and give back and um, keep fighting the yeah, fight. Yeah, right? <laughs> we will, we will. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you.